Ephesians chapter 5. If you'll open your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to continue our study through, uh, through the book of Ephesians. As you're making your way there, if you've been a member of our church here for a while, you've probably heard me tell the story of Lawn Chair Larry. Here's a guy who uh, decided one day that he was going to fill up his uh, balloons, his helium balloons that he tied to a, a lawn chair uh, with helium and go for a ride around his neighborhood. Uh, and uh, so he, he, he packs up, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a six-pack of beer and a BB gun, figuring he'll shoot the balloons out as, you know, he finishes his ride. Well, to his shock and dismay, when they untie this thing, he shot three miles up into the air, and he, and he sort of dri- drifted over into the air traffic control pattern at Long Beach Airport, shut down international flights for, for like hours, you know. Hits at primetime news, everybody's freaking out. And, uh, and so, the, you know, when he finally comes down, he's swamped by the, you know, just tackled down by the cops. They arrest him. And as they're unceremoniously carrying him away, they're like, what on earth possessed you to do this? And, and his answer was, man can't just sit around. That's this guy's answer, right? Now, while I question the efficacy of Larry's, you know, brand of action, you know, I applaud that he wants to be a man of action. I question, you know, the efficacy of that, it, you know, how practical it really is, you know, to, to take your life in your hands and float, you know, <laughs> three miles in the air on a lawn chair. I mean, that's just, I would be all kinds of incontinent when I came down, I'll just tell you that, you know. And uh, so, you know, I question, you know, the wisdom of that, but there's no disputing the fact that spiritually speaking, that, that we can't just sit around spiritually speaking, can we? As Christians, we have, we have been the beneficiaries of an incredible wealth in Jesus Christ. That's the whole first half of the book of Ephesians, our wealth in Christ. And, and, and the Lord has not given to us this abundance of wealth for us just to sit around. He's given us this abundance of wealth that we would walk in it, that we would follow after the Lord obediently. And so last week, we looked at the responsibility that we have as Christians um, to walk in love and to walk in light. Uh, Paul says that there's a, a definite course that the world walks in that Christians should not walk in. Um, and, and he says that Christians shouldn't walk in the way that the world walks because the world is deceived. And what the world calls love uh, is not what God calls love. And, and what the world calls uh, right is, is what God calls wrong. You know, the world thinks, thinks up is, 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 or thinks down is up and, and up is down. And clearly God says, no, you've got your priorities backwards. And the Bible says that this is because the world has believed a lie and rejected the truth. And as a result, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the heart of sinful man has been darkened. King Solomon put it this way. He said in Proverbs 4.19, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And several years ago, I had this futon. I still have it. It's actually at the base of our bed. And it, the sides of this thing will collapse down, and so it, it can turn into uh, to a bed. Um, and so we had this thing, and for whatever reason, I had moved it out of one room, and it was sitting in the hallway. 
And I got up in the middle of the night. Now, when I walk through my house in the middle of the night, it's pitch black darkness, but, you know, I know where I'm going. So I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm walking fairly fast, and I smack right into my shins into this, the side of this futon. And since the sides are collapsible, my, my, the, the centrifugal force of my going forward, it catches me in the abdomen. And the next thing you know, I'm falling flat on my face. It knocks the wind out of me. All Brenda hears is this huge crash and me <gasps> trying to get... She's freaking out. What on earth is going on? And I couldn't remember that I had put this thing in the hallway. So as I'm falling down, I'm just like, what on earth just happened? All I know is I'm, at one minute I'm walking and the next minute I'm face down in agony. And then Brenda comes out with the lights on and there I am in my chonies, you know, just flat on my face. And, uh, and this is such a picture of, of the way the world can be, isn't it? That, that, you know, what happens is, you know, we, the, the world walks in darkness and they don't even know what makes them fall. I mean, we can sit back because, as we talked about last week, God has given to us light as Christians. He's given to us the truth. And so what happens is we can sit from the outside and we can look at the train wreck of somebody's life and we can say with the compass here in our hands, we can say, well, I can see exactly what's going on in your life because I, because I have the light. But because they, the world is in darkness, they don't see it. They don't connect the dots. I won't ask for a show of hands, but some of you have family members, right? And, and they're constantly, their life is in a constant perpetual state of train wreck, and you sit in agony on the outside saying, come to the light. Come to the light. You could see what's going on in your life. Thankfully, God has not left us in darkness. For God, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 proclaims, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, Ephesians 5, picking up in verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for what makes manifest is light. Now, last week I gave you an example of this idea of of what willfully walking in the darkness looks like. I, I use as an example my buddy Jerry, who, who is a, a grading contractor. It's funny, after I told this story, Jerry walked up, he's like, dude, that's exactly the conversations that my wife and I have every day when I come home from work. Well, Jerry, this grading contractor, he's in the dirt all day long. He comes home from work, and he walks in with muddy feet. And, you know, five or six steps into the foyer, he hears a call from the, from the kitchen, uh, his wife saying, honey, I just mopped the floor. Now, at this point, his wife just gave him light. She just illuminated him with the truth. Your feet are muddy, my floor is clean, you best be taking your boots off. Now, Jerry has a, an opportunity at this moment in time. He can take his boots off, armed with this light of the truth, and he can be obedient to the light of the truth and say, I'm not going to walk in darkness. 
I'm going to walk in the light. I'm going to walk obediently in the light. I'm going to take my boots off. Now, if Jerry ignores that, the light that he's been given, and he decides that he's going to continue walking in darkness, and he continues to walk through the house into the kitchen and says, you know, how do you do, baby? They're muddy boots and all. And I asked the guys the question last week, is he going to be having fellowship with the missus anytime soon? And the answer is no. He's not going to be enjoying fellowship with the missus. Why? Because she gave him light and he chose instead to walk in the darkness. And John says this in 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, That's a conscious, willful rebellion, and we talked about that last week. But there's a more insidious uh, way of walking in darkness that we need to consider. Um, and, And Paul addresses that next. If you look at verse 14, here's what he says. He said, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See, there is is this dynamic of, of, of conscious rebellion but there's, there's also this dynamic of an unconscious rebellion or, or just a, a distracted rebellion, if you will. In, uh, in August 1990, there was a guy named Samuel Smith and they found him dead outside of his apartment in Portland, Oregon. And, uh, and they, they couldn't figure it out. Here he was, he was laying in, in, a, in a pool of blood and uh, it was below his balcony and they figured, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe he fell off his balcony. Well, come to find out, the guy had a, 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 a horrible case of sleepwalking his whole life. Problems where he would sleepwalk, and they've determined he, sleepwalking, went out on his balcony and plunged three or four stories down to his death. And it's actually more common than you might think. According to the Dana Foundation, which researches this, this type of, of uh, medical condition, it's estimated that worldwide over 143 million People sleepwalk. That's a lot of people that sleepwalk. 143 million. Statistically, that means that there are those in here that that have this condition where you walk in your sleep. Now, in most cases, here's, here's what I found fascinating. In most cases, when people sleepwalk, sooner or later, it results in injury, property damage, or even death. My... my I almost said her name. One of my daughters, you got a 50-50 chance here of guessing who it is. One of my daughters used to, used to come out, she'd walk in her sleep. One day, Brenda and I are standing there. All of a sudden, she comes out, she opens a drawer, pulls her pants down, sits in the drawer, and, and proceeds to, to, to urinate right there in the drawer. We're like, wah, wah, wah. Never woke up. <laughs> All right, 50-50 chance, guessing who that is. So... But again, in most cases, sooner or later, so I want you to get sooner or later when you sleepwalk, injury, property damage, or even death. And crazy cases. I mean, it's crazy. You Google this stuff and you just start reading. It's fascinating some of the stories that you read. There was a girl in London a couple of years ago. She climbed up on a crane and she climbed out on the arm of the crane. They found her asleep on the arm of the crane, like 30 stories up in the, up in the air, sleepwalked. Uh, they found a man who had driven his car sound asleep, and he's sound asleep at the gas pump, pumping gas into his car. Did the whole thing in his sleep. 
Uh, in Ireland, there was a woman who was staying overnight at a friend's house, heard a horrible crash, and she tripped over a futon, no doubt. But they found her, and she had fallen down the stairs. She'd actually fractured, you know, several of her spinal vertebrae. Fortunately, she wasn't paralyzed, but, but she was injured, you know, for like three months of healing because she sleep, was sleepwalking in the person's house. There have been numerous fatal accidents that they originally thought were suicide. People walking out in the middle of traffic or, or crashing their cars. And they come to find out after they start researching it, sleepwalking. Uh, according to Wikipedia, as, as of 2005, there were 68 reported cases of homicide when somebody was sleep, sleepwalking. They, they actually killed somebody in their sleep. And never knew it. We're never conscious of it. And, and here's the thing. Physiologically, because when they study this thing, it's crazy. Physiologically, what happens is that during sleep, the normal brain turns off your muscle tone. And this is a, this is a protective measure uh, so that you don't hurt yourself. This is why when you have a dream and you go to punch somebody in your dream... You can't do it. This is why when you try to run in your dream, you can't run and the boogeyman's always catching you. Because, because your muscles, the brain turns off your muscles and it's, it's to protect you. And what happens is that for the, the person who sleepwalks, something happens where their muscles work. Their brain doesn't turn off the muscles. And so they have dreams and they act them out. Or they're sleeping and their muscle tone isn't turned off and they begin to, to, to just subconsciously exercise the stuff. And so this is what causes sleepwalking. Now, spiritually speaking, the same thing can happen to us. And this is important because when you think about this, man, we can, we can spiritually speaking, do all sorts of things and, and not, be, not be conscious of it, not be aware of it. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, sleepiness in the Christian is exceedingly dangerous because he can do a great deal while he is asleep that will make him look as if he were quite awake. Take a walk with that. I mean, you know, here's the idea. Think about it. Without the brain being engaged, we can talk in our sleep. We can hear in our sleep. We can walk in our sleep. We can even sing in our sleep. I remember one night, you know, we're there sleeping and Brenda is singing in her sleep. And, and it's just the weirdest, craziest thing. Now, metaphorically speaking, we can, we can do all of these things as well. Let me give you an example. Um, talking when you're asleep. And I'm, talking, I'm not talking about, you know, sleepwalking, sleep talking in the physical. I'm talking about in the spiritual so, so, so imagine with me talking in, in our sleep. Now, I guess I'll explain it this way. How many here, this is participatory, okay? So let's see if this works. How many of you here grew up in the Catholic Church? Can I see a show of hands? Oh, this is going to work great. All right, now, I hope you're outgoing, okay? Go along with me. And let me just say this up front as a caveat. This is a comment on me, this is not a comment on the, on the Catholic Church, okay? This is not a dig at the Catholic Church. So, so this is just me saying, for me. All right. So in the Catholic Church, there's a participatory aspect of, of, the, of the sermon, of the, you know, of the message. And so, again, you guys are going to participate. You're going to speak out, all right? So, so <laughs> you'll never hear me say this again. Imagine I'm the priest, okay? And <laughs> the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Now. (laughs) 
everything that I just said is absolutely theologically correct. And how many times did I say it? And I'll put you on the spot. How many times did you say it? You never thought once about it. It's just what you say. It's just the thing that you say. It's just, this is when I say it. It's like Pavlov's dogs. You ring the bell and that's, you know, you start salivating. It's just what you do. Now, I'm not saying everybody does that. I'm saying that's what I certainly did. It was just speaking. And so this idea is, man, you can talk in your sleep. There, there are things where, you know, and the thing is, if my lips are moving, but my head is, in, is not engaged and my heart is not engaged, is it something genuine? Is it something real? I would argue the answer is no. It's just, it's just talking. It's just, just walking in your sleep. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, wake up. Don't go, don't go through and just let the actions that you do, because so many people are sleepwalking their way through life. And so there's things that, that, this is what I say. This is when I say it. This is what I do. This is when I do it. One night, Brenda and I, we're, we're going to bed, and we're praying. And uh, as I'm praying, I'm exhausted. And as we're praying, I, I fall asleep mid-sentence. And, and the next thing I know, Brenda is like, what the heck are you talking? I was talking nonsense just because, you know, I'm, I, I'm not engaged anymore. I'm just sort of, I'm sound asleep. And, and so the issue here is for us, we need to understand that, that our speech, man, we can, we can do it without any conscious engagement. And we need to wake up. We need to be purposeful in what we do. That's the idea. Here's another way we can sleepwalk with our speech it's not way, the correct way to say it, but I'll say it that way. We can sleepwalk with our speech. Um, is, is what the Bible refers to as idle words. See, the Bible says, man, that there are times when, when we talk without giving any thought to the implications or the consequences. Paul talked about this to Timothy. He was, he was talking to him about church, women in the church who had idle time on their hands. And here's what he said. He said, they learn to be idle wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not to say. And, and, I, and I always think of Jesus' words. He said, but I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. And so this is another really practical point of application for us that we need to understand. I can't just sleepwalk through life. I can't just do the stuff I do because this is what I do. You can't just, well, this is what we do. We get on the phone and we talk and we start complaining about people and we start gossiping about people and you don't give any thought to it. And the Bible says that's sinful. And Jesus says you're going to give an account of it. We have to be very mindful about what we do, very purposeful. And Paul says, wake up and realize that th that is indeed the case. Now, here's another way that we can appear to be awake, but actually be sleepwalking, and that's in our hearing. You recall I said, you know, as an example, there's, there's lots of things we can do in our sleep, and we can, we can hear in our sleep. And, and, you know, I've asked, you know, Brenda, just to mess with her, I've asked her questions when she's sound asleep, and she'll, you know, she'll go to answer them. You know, she's such a light sleeper, usually she'll wake up, but she could probably engage me in conversation. It's, I don't know, I'm unconscious to the world. I don't know even if that's the case. But, but you know, people can hear, you know, if you ever ask a sleeping person a question, they answer you in their sleep. They're asleep. They're just answering you. 
And, and you know, this in, indeed can happen. And, and it's interesting. Repeatedly, when you read throughout the New Testament, you see Jesus Christ. He says things like, he who has an ear, let him hear. Right? Why does he say that? Well, because it's possible to sleepwalk, you know, through the church, hear the message, and never really hear at all. Never really hear at all. What, one of the things that, that, that I dread when, when, I, when I teach, I, I try and, and interject stories every now and then because I want to hold your attention. But what I dread and what every pastor dreads is that all that you remember would be the illustrations or the stories that we would tell. What, what we want is for you to encounter God and to deal with God. And to the point to where the illustrations serve to reinforce the message and have a light bulb go off in your head, well, then we've done our job. And so it's incumbent upon us that we can't sleepwalk through the message. And this is why it's so critically important for us. And I would exhort you, when you're coming to church, to be praying and saying, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, as I come to church, I want to hear from you. When, when we worship the Lord, just having an attitude of saying, speak, Lord, I'm here. I'm going to push everything out, and I'm ready to receive from you. And so there's, there's, an, there's a participatory act of it. it. It needs to be not just what I do by, by rote, not just, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you. I mean, it has to be I'm engaged. This is, this is super important. Now, another way we can appear to be awake but actually sleepwalking is, is in our singing. I mean, just as, you know, my wife, sometimes she'll sing in her sleep. We can sometimes be here in the service and, and just sing during worship and really not have our brains actively engaged. And, and the thing is, is, this is not what we're exhorted to do in Scripture. Seriously, honestly, be honest with yourself. How many times have you come and you just, sort of, you just sort of mouth the words and you never really give thought and attention to what it is we're singing? And as it's been said, you know, in regards to the, the place, spiritually speaking, where we're at in worship, it's not if you're on your note, it's why you're on your note. That's what matters. Listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm 92 says, a song for the Sabbath day. So what does that mean? This is, this is for Sunday. This is the purpose of gathering together. As we gather together for corporate worship, this is the idea. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. Crank and worship team, all the instruments, all in place. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph. That's a, that's a, triumph is a powerful participatory word. It's not a, you know, uh, amazing, great. You know, it's, it's, man, it's a participatory thing. I will triumph in the works of your hands, O Lord. How great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. Here's the idea. A senseless man. Sometimes we can be senseless when it comes to worship. Sometimes we can be absolutely non-participatory, completely on autopilot, just sleepwalking through worship. And it ought not to be that way. Awake, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will give you light. Wake up. We need to participate. We need to be engaged. So critically important. 
The psalmist said, sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Again, the psalmist says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Hey, Reliant Church, can we do that? Can we just make it, you know, our practice when we worship the Lord, both at the beginning of the service and at the end of the service, can we be actively engaged? Can we make the, the, the boundful determination, I'm not going to just go through the motions. I'm going to think about the words that I'm singing. I'm going to engage in this. I'm going to worship my God. And I'm going to take a walk with these, these lyrics that, that are rich theologically. And really just grow in, in, in my adoration for the Lord. See, the point is we can sleepwalk through life or we can open up and wake up and we can allow God to shine his light into our lives. And, and my question for you as, as we, just, we just put this walking in light subject to, to rest here and before we move on, are you sleepwalking? And really, again, no pun intended, this is what I want you to take a walk with this week. Write it down. Consider it. Prayerfully ask, Lord, are there areas in my life that I'm sleepwalking through life? That I'm just going through the motions. I'm never, not, never really given thoughtful attention to what I do, why I do it. Allowing God to shine that light in that area and wake you up and go, hey, you know, this is what you're doing and this is what you need to be doing. So, Paul's talking about several areas where, where we need to walk. In chapter 5, he, he starts with talking about walking in love. We dealt with that last week. He talks about walking in light. We just finished that up now. And now he's going to move on, and he's going to talk about walking in wisdom. And next week, we're going to be looking at walking in submission. But, but now he, he, he focuses on walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom. Proverbs uh, 5 through 7 says this, Get wisdom, get understanding, Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. And here's what Paul says, beginning as we continue, verse 15. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, and here it is, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, wisdom. Wisdom is defined as knowledge skillfully applied. Knowledge skillfully applied. The idea is that you can be the the smartest fool in the world. We know people that have a lot of intellectual information, but practically speaking, they're fools, aren't they? Now, I won't ask for names, but we all know those people that are, the, the, the guy's brilliant, and he's one of the most foolish people I've ever known. And, and it is absolutely the case, because wisdom is knowledge that is skillfully applied. And, and, and again, wisdom is a lot more than knowledge. It consists of information and execution. And this is what Paul says. He says, see, that's information, that you walk circumspectly, that's execution. And, and when, if you're given to taking notes, you might even want to circle that word see when, when Paul says in verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly. Nearby you could write this, you could write to take heed. Uh, the idea is that you're really giving it focused concentration. You're going you're gonna to look at it and you're going you're to consider it, you're going to contemplate it. Um, the idea is with intent and an earnest complica- uh, contemplation. 
And then Paul combines that. You need to do this. You need to see this. You need to study this. You need to examine this. But then he combines it with circumspectly. Now, that word circumspect, it's, it's uh, basically, it comes from two Latin words, or Latin conta- uh, compound word that means to look around. And, and that's a definition of the Greek word, which is translated uh, the idea of precision and accuracy. In other words, what Paul is saying, he's saying, see that you walk carefully and with exactness. Carefully and with exactness. Here's why. Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Now, I'm going to go through these quickly. If you miss it, you can watch online and you can fill in your notes there. Uh, knowledge is knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Knowledge provides information. Wisdom provides transformation. Uh, Knowledge tells you what to believe. Wisdom tells you what to behave. Knowledge is truthful. Wisdom is useful. Here's how James put it. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And that word show, very telling, it, it, it means basically to give evidence or proof. Here's the idea. The idea is that your actions will either prove that you're walking in wisdom or your actions will prove that you are a fool. To quote that great theologian, Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does, right? That's the idea. Or or if I can play a turn on that, it would be that wisdom is as wisdom does. And, And so this is why Paul adds, not as fools, but as wise, and, and so that, that, that's critically important that, that we take note of that. And here's why he says in verse 16, because the days are evil. Look, don't play around with that. You got to know that the days that we live in are evil. And, and, you know, Peter said this, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, he walks about, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Remember, Jesus told Peter, hey, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. There is a concerted full court press effort for your soul to get you to walk as a fool, not to walk as wise. And so we need to be very careful that we walk circumspectly that we take a look at every part of our lives, that we are very mindful of where it is that I'm placing my step and, and what it is that I'm doing. It's, it's the picture of walking across a backyard of a guy that owns several dogs that have been, you know, it hasn't been picked up for a while. You're gonna, and you're barefooted, and you've got to walk across this guy's yard. So do you just, you know, blindly walk across the guy's yard? Not if you don't want to step in it, you don't. So you're going to watch every step, and you're like, good grief, man. Hey, how about a shovel out here, you know? Why don't you pick up all this stuff? That's, that's the idea, walking, walking circumspectly. You're going to watch, you're going to examine, you're going to be looking. And listen, what Paul is saying here is that, man, we need to be able to walk this way because the enemy is after you. I won't have you turn there for time's sake, but in 2 Samuel 11, it tells the story of King David, and it paints the picture. It's the springtime when kings go out to war, and, and the implication is that David should have been out to war, and then it says, but 
David stayed home. And then it says, David went up on his roof to go for a walk. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you know what happens. So he's walking around, he sees his neighbor, she's naked, taking a bath on her roof. Interestingly enough, her name is Bathsheba, and, and, and he eyeballs her. And, and, she, and, you know, rather than at that point going, you know, warning Will Robinson, danger, danger, run, you know. Um, because, you know, it's not sin to be up there and to go, wow, she's hot. That's not sin. It's to go, wow, you know. The, the first look is like what you do with the look. Because you, you're human. You can't, you, you can't not notice, wow, she's hot. Okay, that's enough. Right there. Stop. Run. You're done. David doesn't do this. Why? Well, because he's walking in a place he shouldn't be in the first place. David is, is a fool. He's not being circumspectful. He's, he's walking, and, and the idea, he's walking on that, that roof, he's walking without aim, he's walking without purpose. Where, where, by implication, as you read this, when the text says it's the springtime, the times when kings go to war, what is David? It's a king. So what does that mean? What is the Bible telling us? Where should David be? He should be at war. He should be doing God's work. And, and where was David? David was doing his work. He's fulfilling his thing. So here he is. He's walking in his way, not in God's way. He sees this chick naked taking a bath. He's like, well, who's she? Somebody find out who this, who this gal is. And they tell him, hey, hey, dude, listen, this, this gal, not only is she the, the granddaughter, or rather the, the daughter of, of, one of your one of your best men, one of your faithful men, but, but she's also the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who's also one of your soldiers. By the way, you should be out of battle right now, but he's out at battle right now. What does David say at that point? What was I thinking? God, forgive me. No, he says, bring her to me. They lie together. They conceive a child. Ultimately, David, trying to hide it, he ends up killing Uriah, having him killed in battle to cover up his sin. But the, te- the story finishes up by saying the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Got it by on everybody else. He couldn't get by on the Lord. God knew. God exposed his sin over time. And David, uh, you know, had a lot of heartache. And his house was never the same. You think it can't happen to you? Listen, I'm here to tell you it can. Right now, as I'm preaching this message, there's a church... It's one, of the, it's one of the, easily one of the top ten churches in terms of size in America. Maybe the top five. And right now today, their congregation is finding out that their pastor has committed adultery and he's being removed from the ministry right now. And it'll come out in time who it is and I would just encourage you just to pray for that person. You don't have to know who it is right now and you can just be praying. But I'm here to tell you, this garbage is real. And, and we need to understand that there is an enemy that wants to take us down. And we need to walk circumspectly. We need to be those people that are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We need to be those people that are running from sin. So critically important. See, David became careless. He became self-focused. And so his walk took on a sinful pattern. I just ask you again, how's your walk? It's one of those things that you just need to be able to say, am I walking as a fool or am I walking as wise? 
I want you to notice also in verse 16 another aspect of walking in wisdom. Paul says we're to redeem the time. We're to redeem the time. Now, redeeming the time, uh, the idea of redeeming, it, it implies potential value. And I guess I would illustrate it this way. There's a gal named Terry Horton. She's a long-haul truck driver. And she was in California. She, her home is in Toronto. She was in California. She happened to go into some thrift store. And while she was in there, she saw this, this painting. And it's just all these squiggly lines. She thought it was ridiculous. She, she, it was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever th- seen. Well, as a, on a whim, she's like, she's got a friend of hers back in Toronto. She knows this gal is dealing with this situation. She's super depressed. And she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this, this painting to cheer her up. Just that, you know, you think your life is messed up. Check this thing out. I mean, it's just all these squiggly lines kind of things. So she buys this thing, you know, and the, the, the gal wanted eight bucks for it. She, she, she talked her down to five bucks. She didn't love her friend that much. So, she, you know, not eight bucks worth, but I'll pay five for, for, to cheer her up. So she talked her, haggled her down five bucks. So, so that you guys know where I'm going with this. So she goes back. She gets to, to the house there. And her plan is, hey, she's having lots of friends over along with her friend. And, and they're like, hey, let's drink some beers and let's throw some, some darts at this painting. And, you know, you can appreciate the fact that, you know, this thing's more messed up than your life. And, and one of the friends that's there, she happens to be dating a, a local uh, art teacher at a, at a local junior college, he looks at this thing, he's, he's like, and I got to check my notes, see what the guy's name is, he looks at it, he's like, uh, you might want to not throw darts at this thing, this looks like a, a Jackson Pollock painting. She's like, who the blankety blank is Jack, Jackson Pollock? Well, she came to find out, $50 million. $50 million. Do you think she redeemed that painting? In a New York second, man, she was like, yes, right now. And so she redeemed the, the painting. She's now, you know, a multimillionaire. And, and all because she redeemed it. Now, here's the thing. Our time is like that. A lot of times we just think, you know, this is whatever. This is random. It's squiggly. It's not important. You might recall several years ago, I, I preached a message where I talked about last times. Because the first times in our lives, we, we kind of take notice of. Oh, it's the first step. It's the first words. It's the first day of school, whatever it is. But a lot of times, man, what I've noticed is those last times, they come and go with, without, without notice. You just, they sneak by you and you don't realize. Before you know it, it's over and you think back and you're like, oh, you remember, you remember Scotty used to do this funny thing and he would say this? When was the last time you did that? You know, I, I remember I used to throw all my kids up on my shoulders and walk on the beach with all three of them up there. And they all knew the drill. I'd throw the one up on one shoulder, and I'd throw the one up, and they, the one would duck, and the other one. And then I'd grab the third one and throw him up over. And we would all three walk down the beach. And it was, it was super special. My kids remember it to this day, and I can't remember the last time I did with that, that with my kids. And the last times, they, they sneak by. I was trying to emphasize this point to a group of men on a men's retreat in Catalina one time. And, uh, and I got the idea, and I, I stole it from somebody, but it was brilliant. I had Brenda go through, and sh- she took a bunch of pictures of all their kids at church without them knowing about it. And then there at the retreat, I played the cats in the cradle, and I showed these, kids, these guys pictures of their children. I'm ruthless, man. <laughs> guys were bawling their eyes out. Why? Because they see it and they realize, I'm not redeeming the time. And some of us here today ought to be bawling our eyes out because we're not redeeming the time. 
and it will sneak by, and, and, and before you know it, it, it it's gone. And this is Paul saying, man, you want to walk with the Lord, you better understand. And James says this in the book of James, what is your life? It's a vapor. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. And we have to redeem the time. Because the days are evil, man. And therefore, Paul says in, in, in verse 17, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is perhaps the greatest benefit to walking in wisdom. It's understanding the Lord's will. See, listen, God has given us a mind to understand his will. In the book of Romans, it talks about this. It says, and, and, do not, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove, super telling, super interesting. It means this. It means to recognize as genuine after examination and testing. To recognize as genuine after examination and testing. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying when we walk in wisdom and we apply what we learn in growth groups, in Sunday morning service, in our morning devotions, in our time in the word, when you will apply those things and when you'll walk in that way and obediently in response to God, he says that's where you're going to gain the understanding of God's will in your life. Because you're going you're gonna to prove that oh, this is good, this is right, and this is, this is appropriate. When I think about, man, just what happens in, 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 in the Christian life, this is one of the greatest questions that I field as a pastor. People coming and wonder, asking me, what's God's will for my life? Can you tell me what God's will is for my life? I'll tell you, the only, I'll tell you what I've discovered. I've discovered that God has a plan and he has a purpose and that it's unique and it's specific to every single one of us. We looked at that in Ephesians chapter 2. I'll put it on the screen for you. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, if you'll recall, it, it means work of art. It means literally poem. We get the word poem from this. That we are God's work of art. And then he has a, a specific thing that he wants to do in you and wants to do through you. And, and I can only tell you what my experience has been in terms of finding God's will. Can I tell you, it's always come through just being in the study of God's word and trying to obey it. When, when we started Revival Christian Fellowship in our living room, it was because we were doing a Bible study and this was just the natural next step that we were supposed to do. Let's start a church. Who says that? Holy Spirit. We started this church. It's a natural result of just a regular time of studying God's word. It was just the natural next thing. God's going to speak to you and he's going to reveal his word to you and his will for your life as you're in his word. That's just how it goes. And so, you know, you want to walk in wisdom. Hey, listen, here's a, here's a huge recommendation. Just make, among other things, reading through the book of Proverbs your daily habit. 31 chapters, 31 days in most months, read, read, read a chapter a day, or, you know, yeah, a chapter a day, just as you go through it. And, and, and because the, the, the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It just gives you all of this, this rich information. Hey, you want to learn how to walk godly? Why don't you, practically speaking, why don't you do this? And the thing is, is this is the way it comes. It comes through us coming to church. We don't come here just to hear some jokes or to hear some, what a, I mean, what a sorry, I'm so sorry for you if you're coming here for, for my jokes, you know? 
you come here to meet with God, to have him speak to you, to walk out and put feet on it. This is what we pray every week. And, and what happens is when you do that faithfully, this is when we discover what the will of God is. Well, not, not walk as fools, walk as wise. Not, not being neglectful of the time, but redeeming the time. Understanding the days are evil. Satan's got a plan for you, just as God does. And you're either going to be walking according to his plan or God's plan. It's your choice. And so we got to pray and go, man, what am I going to do? Now, we conclude. Paul gives us his final thought in regards to walking in wisdom. We see it there in verse 18. Here's what Paul says. He says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, is drinking a sin? Yes or no? No, it's not a sin. However, you know, the, the Bible says in, in first, first Timothy chapter 3, uh, you know, that it, it cautions elders against being, you know, against drinking and, and, and so on. I, I, I believe it's sinful for pastors uh, to, to drink. Um, again, the book of Proverbs says that it's not, it's not given for kings or princes to, to drink. Uh, and so, you know, I think that those who are serving in a, as pastors, I think it is sin for us to drink. But, I, but is it sin for anybody else to drink? No, even when we're laying hands on these deacons. I mean, it says not, don't be given too much wine. You know, it's always a sin to be drunk, is it not? Yeah, that's the issue. Being drunk, being intoxicated, always sin. It's not a sin to drink. But here's the idea. Here's what I want you to understand. It's often very unwise to drink. It's often very unwise. And, and I would explain what I'm going to say this way. And I'm not going to get legalistic about it. I just want you to hear this. Galatians chapter 5 says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But what I want you to understand, and Paul says here in verse 18, that when you're drunk with wine, therein is dissipation of the Spirit. When we drink intoxicating drink, the, the Holy Spirit is dissipated from our life. And so we're being influenced by the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit is love. Well, the, the, the fruit, if I can put it that way, of alcohol destroys love. It destroys loving homes. It destroys loving relationships. The, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy and peace. Can I tell you, alcohol robs men of their joy. It robs men of their peace. Again, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, patience, kindness, goodness. But the fruit of the Spirit of alcohol, impatience, unkindness, evil things. And in fact, I would say this. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, uh, is goodness. Faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Being faithful Here's what I would tell you. As a pastor, 20 years, and it's, and it's incorrect always to, to, or to, make, always, to make an absolute statement, okay? Uh, but I will, I will make an absolute statement because for the life of me, I can't think of a, of, of a contrary to what I'm about to say, and that is this. Every single incidence of marital infidelity that I've ever been associated with in 20 years, and as a pastor, you can imagine that's quite a lot, always involved alcohol. Always involved it. Just add alcohol. Alcohol makes gentlemen violent, makes them angry, makes them lose control. As a paramedic, the majority of the fatal accidents I went on involved alcohol. The majority of the traffic accidents I went on, alcohol was involved. I hate alcohol. I hate it. 
almost destroyed my life. I've seen many family members that, that have been destroyed, destroyed by alcohol. I just don't think it's wise. And I'm not going to be legalistic and say you should never drink, but here's what I will say. If you look back at the regrets in your own life, probably more than a few of them involve alcohol. Take a walk with that. Here's Paul's point, though, and I'm closing on this, and I want, I want your attention in it. What he's saying is, look, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and when he says be filled, if, if, if you want to circle that nearby, you want to write this down, there's three crucial aspects of this, and, and this has to do with the original Greek, and it's really telling, and you need to hear it. It's, number one, it's, it's in the continual sense. In other words, it's something that's supposed to be constant and ongoing. Secondly, it's, it's in the passive voice, which means that it's something that happens to you. You can't manufacture it. And, and thirdly, it's, it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. It's not optional. So, so it's, it's to be continual. It's to be passive, something that happens to you. And it's to be something that's imperative, something that, that you're constantly being involved with. And I want you to think about this. When you drink alcohol, how do you become intoxicated? Well, you have to keep drinking, don't you? One drink doesn't make you intoxicated. It's several drinks that makes you intoxicated. And that effect, if you stop at that point, it will wear off. But if you continue to drink, then you will maintain that intoxication. And Paul is using that example to say this is what we have to do with the Holy Spirit, is that we have to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to keep drinking of the Holy Spirit. David Guzik said this, he says, Much of the weakness, defeat, and lethargy in our spiritual lives can be attributed to the fact that we are not constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll close with this scripture. Here's what Jesus says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's how we're going to close. I'm not going to close with, a, with, a, with an emotional story or with an emotional tug or anything like that. I'm simply going to say this. We need to be walking in the light and we need to be walking in wisdom. We need to wake up and not walk as fools, but we need to walk as wise. And so much of that depends on us being spirit-filled and spirit-led. It's all dependent on us being filled with the Holy Spirit.